Proverbs, and over the next few weeks we'll be talking about principles from Proverbs. Principles from Proverbs, and today what we're talking about is a real practical topic, is choices. And that's also the title of today's sermon. We are just talking about choices. Now as we talk about that, obviously we're not just talking about choices in general, but we're talking about how do we as Christians make good choices? How do I avoid making bad choices? What is the criteria to make good choices? And do I even have the necessary tools to make those good choices? Now before we get started, I know you think, all right, we're talking about making good decisions, so naturally we must be talking about the kids, or this is for the kids, but no, this is for all of us. We all have an obligation to understand why it's important for us to make good decisions in life and what are the practical tools that we need in order to do that. And that's what we're going to look for in the text today is how can I make good choices with the tools that the Lord has afforded for me in Scripture? And then when I make good choices, how do I make sure that it is what the Lord wants for me to do? And so we're going to look, as I said, in Proverbs, we're going to be in the first chapter of Proverbs. We're starting in the first verse, and we're going to go all the way down through verse 19. And so Solomon writes this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland to your head, and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to um, jump into the word today, God, um, let us see that this isn't just about making practical good decisions, but this is about making the choices that you have called for us to make, God. Lord, this is not a sermon where we want to look back on our life with regret, but we want to look forward and toward our future with hope and know that, all right, if we do our best to honor you, that's the main tool that we need to make the decisions that glorify you. So, Lord, give us the wisdom we need from the text today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I was having a conversation just this past week, and I thought about it on the way here because I was talking about how one of the things I try to do at the school with these younger kids is give them all the same advice that people tried to give me growing up. And I realized, oh, man, I'm the old guy 
giving young people advice that I was. Like, I didn't want to listen to anybody. And I think, well, I don't feel old. I don't really look old. But then I see all this gray hair in my beard. It goes away with a little help. But I see all the gray hair in my beard, Howard. And I'm just thinking, how in the world have I become this person? But how do I communicate this wisdom so they can take it? And I remember I shared with somebody this this week, you know, I can reflect on one choice I made that literally lasted years and years. And I thought I'll share it with y'all today. So when I was a senior in high school, you know, I have such a good big sister in Jasmine. Jasmine bought me a car, right? Was, who, what big sister does that? But Jasmine bought me a car. It was only $1,500. It had a 150,000 miles on it. So it literally got you back and forth. Don't ask it to do much else. And that car had some issues and some problems that were going on with it. And eventually I was driving a lot more, so I did need a new car. But I didn't need an expensive car. Like a fool, against the wisdom of all the people around me, I traded that car in. You know what I got for that car? $200. And Jasmine got me a Chevrolet Malibu. It was a 2004 Malibu. And the note it was only for like two and a half, three years. It was only like $200. It was something I could afford. And I remember my first year at Sanford, you know, you get around a certain group of people. It's like, I can't be driving no Malibu up here. I mean, I mean, they driving Porsches. I'm driving a Malibu. I was like, I need something a little nicer that matches the education level that I'm getting. So I got a Ford Fusion, which ain't really that much nicer. But hey, at 19, 20, like, you don't know. So I go to the dealership to get this Ford Fusion, and this car that I had wasn't paid off. And so initially, I was just going to try to finance it all in, but then this guy was going to buy it, all this stuff. And so I went to get this car. I thought I was going to get a good deal. It was $12,000. And I knew, you know, this man had shifted eyes, right? And so the whole time we talked, he's like, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. He's like, oh, it's going to be fine. Your interest rate is only 9%. And so I'm saying, oh, nah, okay, that's good. I have no idea what interest looks like or what it's supposed to be. I just think it's good because he told me it was good. And so it took me literally years after having that car to realize not only did he not sell it to me for 12000 he sold it to me for 15000 but I was actually paying off $23,000. And so when I did that, I realized I had made a tremendous mistake. Now, against all the wisdom of my mother, my grandmother, my sister, I just thought this is the thing that I need to do. Well, then that car started to break down. I was paying $300-something a month for a car that wasn't worth it, and it was breaking down. I was like, I got to get from up under this. And I committed to getting a car and just paying it off. Like, that was my whole thing. And I'll never forget, Elliot was a week old, and I went and got the Highlander. But that car had some negative equity, that Fusion. And so I had to take that negative equity and put it in that car. But I said, this is the only way I'm going to get out of this, but I was smart. 3% interest rate this time. And the reason I share that story is we just paid the Highland off. And so it took years to correct or fix or settle a bad decision. One bad decision, one bad choice in my life, it took 
10 years to fix it. And what I think about is if I had listened to the wisdom of those around me, how much money would I have saved? How much of a better place I would have been in? And so I realized, yes, it's easy to say you got to listen to the people around you, but I also want to acknowledge I know how hard that is. All of us in this room, I think, believe in a sovereign God. We believe that God is in control and in eternity past, God alone created the world. We believe that God is in control of everything that ultimately happens in the world and that nothing happens outside of his control. But then when people hear that or when people say that, we start to question, well, if God really is in control, then does anything I do actually matter? If God orchestrates all that happens in the world, are my choices really a factor in what God does? See, there are plenty of people who think that either God has set up the world and lets us run it without his influence, or they believe that God is heavily involved and he's manipulating everything that we do, that we think, that we feel, and we're just his little puppets. But neither of these things are the case. The truth is that, yes, God is in control of the world and what happens in it, But while he is in control, he also works our decisions into his plan. And there is ultimately nothing that I can do that can change God's course. But that doesn't mean that my decisions are not impacting that course. So how do our choices matter then? Well, that's where our text comes in. The process to making the right choices in life begins here. That's what he says. He says, knowing wisdom and instruction and then understanding if someone gives you insight. And then he says that these things give self-control to the simple. So let's look at this in stages. One of the first steps to making good choices and decisions in life is through that wisdom of the people around us who either have the wisdom or who unfortunately have the experience of making bad decisions. Now, maybe in principle we know this, but do we understand this in practice? We can look at our kids and think, well, yeah, if you would listen to me, you may not make as many mistakes. But what keeps them from listening? What kept me from listening to all of the wisdom that everybody tried to give me, not just about that car, but all of life, and I didn't listen? What keeps us from listening to the people around us? It's the same thing for every person in this room. It's pride. It's ultimately just pride. It is believed that even though I don't have the experience, even though I lack the maturity, even though I have no foresight for the decision I'm making, it is believed that I still have the ability on my own to decide what is right or wrong for me. Y'all, that is pride. Name a person in the Bible or in your life who made bad choices and who didn't believe that. You see this trend everywhere. Adam and Eve are told that they will die if they disobey. Not only is that a command, but that was the wisdom of God. 
But they believe, I'm not going to die. I'm not really going to die. Am I really going to die? I don't think I'm going to (laughs) die. And they eat of that fruit of that tree because they thought they knew better. Abraham is told that he and Sarah will have a child together. And when they feel like that isn't happening, they decide, well, we can make it happen. We know better than what God knows. Moses is told to speak to the rock, but in his anger, he strikes it for water. Y'all, there are myriad occasions of this, not just in the Bible, but in our own lives. But let me give you this simple working definition that I use for wisdom. Wisdom is learning without having to experience. That's what wisdom is. I'm using the examples of people around me without actually having to go through it. And there are two ways you gain wisdom. You gain wisdom from folk around you. You gain wisdom because you went through. I at 31 years old, prefer to gain wisdom from the wisdom of the people around me. To be able to apply someone else's instruction or experience to your life is always right. But it will always also be our pride that says, I know right, I know better, or maybe this will be different for me. I cannot tell you how many conversations I know of that people had regarding someone's future spouse or marriage or people gave them good, healthy advice, but they thought, no, the things that didn't work for you, well, it'll be different for me. I'm the exception to the rule. Psalms actually tells us, y'all, that the wicked are the ones that do not seek the wisdom of God before doing things because he is not even in their thoughts. I wonder how many times we just get up and do stuff and we don't even say, Lord, is this even your will for me? It makes practical sense. We both got good credit scores. We both believe the same thing. We both live in the same neighborhood. We both know the same people. But that doesn't mean that that's what God wants for you. This job pays a lot of money. These are Christian people. I enjoy this. But that doesn't mean that that's what God wants for you. It can be practical. It can make sense. But you still have to see the wisdom of God. You know how many things people in the Bible did that didn't make practical sense? But they listened to God. Abraham gets told, take your son up there and offer him as a sacrifice. He says, all right. Well, why did he say all right? Because he had learned so many times, every single time I tried to do things the way I want to do them, it didn't work out, even if it made sense to me. This makes no sense to me other than God said I need to do it. And that's where we all need to be. We need to place ourselves in the position that even if this doesn't make sense to people around me who don't know God, if the people who I know know God say, look, If that's what you feel like the Lord is trying to have you do, then do it. That's true wisdom. Anybody can give us just practical insight. Now, this doesn't mean only listening for God in prayer or in scripture, but God speaks to us as we see through the wisdom of those around us. Proverbs 11 and 14, where there is no guidance, a people fails, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Y'all, as God surrounds you with godly people, 
Know that this is the grace that he affords for you. Of course, you could, if you want to, try to make every decision on your own and think God is in control. Whatever happens will happen. It'll work out. But you actually have the ability to choose the right thing or the wrong thing. Many times people will ask me, how do I make the right choice when the things I need to make a choice about are not in the Bible? And one of the best ways is relying on the people around you who have the wisdom that you need. Speaking of those cars, I do remember after experiencing what I went through, telling a young woman who had come into the bank who really wanted another car, even though she had a car note and said, I'll pay two car notes. And after 30 minutes of desperately telling her how unwise this was, she still applied for that loan. She got it and she agreed that she was going to pay $700 a month in car notes. Because she wanted that charger, y'all. How many choices have we made when we were told what to do, but we did what we wanted to do anyway? Y'all, this is what James says, and I want you to think about this, because this ain't just talking about sinful things. James says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Oh, y'all thought he's just talking about something moral? No, it's something simple. If you know staying up late is going to prevent you from getting to work on time, then if you know what's right, I know, okay, maybe that was too direct, all right. If you know that some of the decisions that you are making will affect other things and people around you, don't make that decision regardless of those people. That is actually sinful. You want it to be more, but he says, no, anytime you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's wrong. Anytime I have to measure something out, and I know, without a doubt, one of these things is more honoring to God than the other, then I have an obligation to make the right decision. And when you choose the opposite, I don't care what it is, it is sin. So when I got a car at an enormous rate, even though I didn't have to, and I knew it would bring on stress, when I knew it would be bring on hyper-focus on keeping it and having to work enough hours to be able to make the note, yeah, it was simple. It was just sin. Or when I knew taking that job meant it only gave me a lot more money, but I knew that it wasn't the Lord who intended to use me, or even that I chose whatever I chose because it made sense. Y'all, that is no different than what Adam and Eve did. That is no different than what Sarah and Abraham did, or anybody else that you know about. And to put it simply, good choices honor God. It's just that simple. Now let me add this caveat, because this is probably going to help some people, because I know you're probably working in your mind. There are times that you definitely intended on doing what was right. There are times when you intended on doing what was honorable to God, where you went to counsel, and the thing didn't plan out the way that you wanted. 
That does not mean that it was a wrong decision. Okay? Give you an example. Y'all remember that building we used to have? They got hit by a tornado. You want to know when I was like, Lord, is this even what you wanted? But when you go to God and you trust God, that means that God's will doesn't necessarily look the way I think it should look. That God's path for me doesn't look the way that I think it will look. I look back now. Yes, there were times I questioned, was that the right decision? Like the song said, but I can look back and say, well, but he made a way. There is so much grace and freedom now when you know I have one obligation. How can I honor God in this decision I make? And try to do that to the best of my ability. If you do that, this is the good news. You will not make a wrong decision. I'm not saying every decision is going to work out the way you intended to work out. But even when it feels like it didn't work out, if you know in your heart of hearts, I did this unto the glory of God, it was the right decision. That means you don't have to stay up late at night worrying about it, stressing about, is this the thing for me to do? Was that the right thing for me to do? And so making a good decision is a matter of trusting God. You can ask anybody who knew me before planning this church. The one thing I did not want to do was plan a church. Because I knew how hard it was. I knew what it took. And ultimately, I didn't do it just because I wanted to do it. Everything in me said no. But the Lord was driving me, y'all. And I'm not one of these people who say, well, if it lasts 10 years, if it lasts this amount of years, we have this amount of people, then I know it was success. I just know at the moment and in that time, I was doing what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. And the confirmation for me all these years when we fool, when we empty, whatever the case, when we got a lot of money and we don't have as much, is every path, every step that we have taken, the Lord has made a way. It's just that simple. There are some people in this room who think that they are where they are or not where they are strictly because of their decisions alone. And I really just, I want to free you from that burden burden of thought, y'all. Don't be a fatalist. Don't be a fatalist. What is fatalism? Fatalism is the idea that everything in life Everything in time is fixed to such a degree that there is nothing that I can do to affect the present or the future. And that even if I try to make a good or right decision, it is fixed by fate. For example, if God completely controlled us and our movements, then our decisions actually don't affect anything. God would be a fatalist. I tell the kids like this. With God being sovereign and with him working through my decisions, I choose not to do drugs. Now, because God is sovereign, I know regardless of how hard I try, one day Brandon is going to die. Okay, I'm going to try to eat the right stuff and try to exercise, work out. But at the end of the day, something's going to take me out. Right. 
But I know it won't be because I do drugs. You understand what I'm saying? My decisions affect that. If God was a fatalist and I said, I'm not going to do drugs so I don't die of an overdose, then that is fixed. And nothing I do can change what God wants to happen, right? And so I can say, I'm not going to die of a drug overdose because I don't do drugs. And I'm walking down the street one day and a pound of crack flies into my nose and I die of an overdose. That's what it means to be a fatalist. Is there's nothing I can do to change what's going to happen. But in reality, there are certain things I actually can decide to do or not do that will shape how I live in this world. I can affect that. Now, it doesn't change the fact that I still will die. And that ultimately, I am not in control of that. But there are also positions and places I cannot put myself in. Because my choices have an effect. If God was completely fixing our lives, then he would have out there a future death that he wanted us to die. And no matter what we did, we couldn't avoid that. But that's not how God works. Yes, God has a plan in for all of us. But he also works our choices into that plan. So knowing this, how should I approach life? Well, I think the best word is balanced. Balanced. Maybe a better word is reverence. Reverence for God in everything that we do. Even what seems small to other people. The text says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If in the decisions we make in life we consider the Lord, then that will be the key to making better choices. And for some of us, that will require a reconfiguration of our hearts. Why? Because the Bible says that our hearts are deceitful. It is easier than we think to believe that the decisions we make are what the Lord wants for us to do. And I'm just telling you now, when you're trying to make a right decision, yeah, you're fighting the external enemy, but there's also the enemy of yourself that really is trying to be glorified in itself. You know how many bad decisions I've justified by saying, I really think this is the Lord wants me to do? A lot. You know how many people have been manipulated and pressured into situations because they were told, I think this is what the Lord wants you to do? At the end of the day, my heart is not the place I should go to to seek wisdom from God. So maybe going with your heart is not the best thing when our hearts are prone to deceive. So instead of us just going with our hearts or what we feel in that moment, we need to be considerate of how does God, who knows me better than I know myself, how does God see this? How does God see me? Remember, he knows our motivations. So when we say, the Lord knows my heart, that is not an excuse. That is an indictment. Because you better believe he knows your heart. Even when you think you did the right thing, only the Lord truly knows our motivations. Before you fool God, you will always fool yourself. 
Maybe this job is not what the Lord wants, even though it pays a lot. Maybe marrying this person makes sense on paper, but what are my motivations? Maybe I do need a car, but I don't need this car. So how do we know? And I'll tell you like this. Allowing the Lord to search your heart is a great place to start. And from there, it is making right decisions through practical wisdom and guidance. He says in the text, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. Yes, we need our hearts to be reconfigured, but we also really need practical strategies to avoid pitfalls. John says you have to practice the righteousness that has already moved into your heart. And so when we see him saying here to remember the wisdom of your parents and wear them as a piece of jewelry, he is saying that even for the best of us, we still need reminders. One thing that I have noticed about a lot of the most prepared people that I know is that they are very procedural people. I would say Christy Knight is one of those people. Christy got a calendar for everything. Christy, y'all don't know this, Christy has a calendar for how many times she's supposed to blink in a day. And so I've learned that the very procedural people in life have a thousand reminders. Chrissy got stuff on the wall. Chrissy got stuff in her phone. Chrissy got 50 alarms that go off every single morning. But you know, those same people tend to know exactly what's going on. They tend to know where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. Now, how do they do that? Yeah, they're wired in a way to be very procedural, but they also need reminders. I need to be reminded to be on top of these things. Yes, I have a certain wisdom, but I also need to be reminded. And that's all I'm saying is, yeah, we have wisdom around us. We have wisdom from the word of God. But nobody in this room is above being reminded. No, you you still need to make good good choices. All you're doing is for yourself or for the Lord. I don't care who you are. I don't care how well you preach. Is this honoring to God? We all need those from 8 to 80. We need to be reminded to follow and trust the Lord, to depend on the wisdom of those around us. And this is, as Elliot said, this is my final word. Your strength is not in your independence. It is not. Your strength is in your dependence on God and the community that he has placed around you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for this word in our first um, sermon on this series of making right decisions and principles from Proverbs. God, it's just practical wisdom and even for myself, God, it can be a haughtiness or an arrogance of things. Oh, no, I know or I'm mature enough, but God, I need help and I need wisdom and I need the wisdom of those around me. And I'm not on an island. And God, I just pray that all of us 
can be humble enough to realize that we all have shortcomings, that we all will miss the mark if it isn't for those who are around us to safeguard us and to protect us from ourselves, God. So whatever is facing us in our future, God, whatever decisions you know many of us in this room right now are trying to wrestle and struggle through, where, where do I go? What do I do? Which way do I go? Which car? Which job? Which spouse? All those things, God, that you would firm up our desire to glorify you and not ourselves. God, that you would excavate our hearts in those moments where we think we know exactly why we're doing what we do, that you would show us who we actually are and that we will lean into the safety of the counsel that you have placed around us, God. God, there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you or who's watching who doesn't know you, God. It is my prayer that they realize that it is because of the wisdom of God that we are saved. You in eternal past orchestrated our plan of salvation, God. And even though we were all at one point enemies of you, you didn't let that stand in the way of saving us. And we're grateful, God. So I pray if there's anyone here, anybody watching who desires that salvation, God, that this would be the day um, of their salvation, Lord. We thank you for the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.